0: Welcome to Bible Study with Angelo. My name is Angelo and I love the Lord Jesus. This podcast is for those that want to learn to walk with God and hear and then apply the many precious truths revealed in the Word of God. The goal of this podcast is to bring us into a sanctified living in alignment with the will of God according to Scripture and ultimately, being made ready for the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. May this next episode bless you. Thank you for joining us this episode. And uh, we're going to be covering the precious blood of Christ. You know, to know the power of the blood is a very, very important aspect in our Christian life and it's so essential that every christian knows what the blood of christ means and what it does for each of us as christians so why do we need the precious blood of christ because essentially fallen man has three basic problems even as a christian you still carry around the fallen human life So day after day, you may still be plagued with these three problems. The three problems are as follows, and they involve three parties, God, yourself and Satan. I'm going to repeat. Firstly, it's God, then it's yourself and then it's Satan. Toward God, you often sense separation within yourself. You often sense guilt and from Satan, you often sense accusation. These three, separation from God, feelings of guilt and accusation from Satan, can be three big problems in your Christian life. So then how do we overcome these three problems? It's only by the blood of Christ. So we're going to be covering the matter of separation from God. You see, when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, he immediately hid from God. Before Adam sinned, he enjoyed God and was in his presence all the time. Yet after he sinned, he hid. Sin always results in separation from God. Don't forget this, brothers and sisters. This is the first thing sin does, is it causes separation between you and God. Even as a Christian, you may experience this after committing some little sin You sense a great distance between you and God. And this is because God is righteous. He cannot tolerate sins. Look at what the prophet prophet Isaiah said um, in Isaiah chapter 59 verses 1 to 2. No, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor his ear so heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have become a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. You see, after Adam sinned, God did not say, Adam, what have you done? Rather, God said, Adam, where are you? In other words, God is not as much concerned with what sins you commit as he is with the fact that your sins separate you from him. You see, this is God's concern, whatever sin it may be, All sins lead to separation from God, and so when Adam sins, God says, where are you? What we must all see is that God loves us, but he hates our sin. As long as our sins remain, God must stay away. In this condition, we feel far from God when we've sinned. For God to come, sins must go. Now, there is only one thing in this entire universe that can take away our sins, and that is the precious blood of Christ. No amount of prayer, no amount of weeping, no ritual, no penance, no promise to do better, no guilty feeling, no period of waiting. Nothing but the precious blood of Christ can remove sins. Hebrews 9, 22 says that without the shedding of blood, There is no forgiveness. Now we see this illustrated in Exodus. Some of the children of Israel may have been as sinful as the Egyptians. Yet when God sent his angel to slay all the firstborn children in the land of Egypt, he did not say, when I see your good behavior, I will pass over you. God did not require that the children of Israel pray, do penance or promise to behave. No. God commanded them to slay the Passover lamb and to sprinkle its blood on their doorposts. He said, when I see the blood, please note that when I see the blood, not when you see the blood. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. You'll see that in Exodus chapter 12 verse 13. God never looked to see what kind of people were in the house when he saw the blood. He simply passed over. And that's why it's called Passover. Because when God saw the blood on the doorpost, he passed over. His judgment passed over. And so this is what will happen um, on the day of judgment. Is that those that don't have the blood, his judgment will strike them. okay, But those that have the blood of Christ upon them. His judgment will come and it will pass over them. And that's why it's called Passover. You see, Christ is the Passover lamb. And we'll see a little bit more about that a little later. Now, that Passover lamb was a picture of Christ. When John the Baptist saw the Lord, he proclaimed, behold, the lamb of God, who takes away the sin of all the world. That is John chapter one, verse 29. You see, my brothers and sisters, Jesus is the lamb of God. In fact, that's what John was saying. All you people remember that lamb that had to be slaughtered in Exodus and its blood had to be sprinkled on the doorpost. Well, here is the lamb of God. That was just a lamb. It was a type. It was a picture. Of the lamb the real lamb which was to come and that lamb is our true Passover lamb and that's the lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world and so John proclaims behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of all the world something to note here in the Old Testament the blood of the bulls goats and lambs those that blood only covered sins it only covered their transgressions it never took them away and that's how they were able to fellowship with God because their sins were covered something innocent died for something guilty uh, and they could see the children of Israel could see there was a direct consequence of their sin it's not like their sin went unpunished God's a righteous and holy God he must punish sin so what was punished in their place What was their substitute? It was a lamb. It was a bull. It was a goat or whatever that they used, a turtle dove. But now in the New Testament, we see that Christ is the Lamb of God and his blood doesn't just cover sin. His blood takes away our sin. How glorious is that? And that's what John is saying here. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of all the world. Only by his precious blood are all your sins taken away. So then what should we do if we've sinned and feel far from God? We should just simply confess that sin to God and believe that the blood of Jesus has taken that sin away. First John chapter one verse nine says the following. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now something important to see here. God's righteousness excluded us from his kingdom because we were dead in our sins and offenses, meaning because God is righteous and holy, he has to uphold the law. Okay, so when we come into the courtroom one day, we can't approach God as our father. Per se, We have to approach him as the judge and he will look to us as the judge, even though he's our father. Think about it. If you have an earthly relative, let's say your uncle and he's the judge and you committed a let's say a wrongful act and you broke the law somewhere in your country, right? And you now walk into the courtroom and you see it's a relative. It's your uncle and your uncle looks at you and he's like, how, you know, This is not good. Here's my um, relative. He's in the court here with me. And now your uncle has the power to send you to prison or to pardon you. Okay? But you must understand your uncle is there to uphold the law. That's his office. Okay? So a righteous judge will not use that relation um, in that courtroom, meaning, He will be a judge to you rather than a relative to you, because that that is fulfilling his duty as someone who would uphold the law. But now, can you imagine you walk into the courtroom and your uncle says. You know what, you shouldn't be here, I know that you're a good person, you help people where you can, and there was this was just one fault that you did, so you know what? You're free to go Would that uncle be righteous or unrighteous. You see, remember his office is to uphold the law. But in this case, he didn't uphold the law. He let you off. He let you go without paying that fine. So your uncle would be an unrighteous judge. Now, God cannot be unrighteous. God must punish sin. That's why the Bible says the wages of sin is death. It's not a slap on the wrist, naughty boy, don't do that again. The wages of sin is eternal death. And that fine has to be paid. So who is going to pay that fine? And that is what people are going to find at the end of their life, who do not trust in Christ, believe in Christ, follow him and have his blood, you see. When that judgment comes and they don't have that blood, when God doesn't see that blood, he's not going to pass over them. He's going to judge them. And he must judge them because he's righteous and holy. But now look at this. The very righteousness of God that excluded you from his kingdom now includes you because of the blood. Why do I say this? So imagine you did walk into the courtroom and now... You committed an offense, but someone paid your fine for you. Can you imagine if the judge said, Well, you know what? You can still go to prison. Thanks very much. Would that judge be righteous or unrighteous? You see, you've paid your fine now, so you cannot go to prison anymore. And you see what God has done for us, the wisdom of God. John 3 16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That everyone who believes in Him and keeps believing in Him will not perish, but will have eternal life, now and keep on having eternal life. And that's what it's about, brothers and sisters. This is what our God did for us. You see, God has punished our sins, but on another. Christ Jesus, our Lord, was our substitute. Remember, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of all the world. You see, he is the sin offering, the eternal sin offering. All the blood of the bulls and goats in the Old Testament mean nothing apart from the blood of Christ. When Jesus' blood was shed for us, the way was opened. The veil was rent in two. It could only be rent in two once that blood was shed. Because then Christ himself took that blood and put it on the mercy seat in heaven before God, and that opened the way. So in the Old Testament, they didn't have Christ. So what did they have? The blood of bulls and goats. And God said, if you do these sacrifices, I will account it as righteous because you've obeyed my word. But what they didn't know is that in time, God would retro apply the blood of Christ that was shed for them. So as long as you did the sacrifice, the blood of Christ would would, because his blood is eternal, would take care of your sins. The blood of the bulls and goats in the Old Testament were pointing to the blood of Christ to come in in time. Now that we have the blood of Christ, there's no need to to slaughter bulls and goats because that blood is enough and that blood is so precious. So when we confess our sins. Immediately, all distance between us and God is gone. I'm going to repeat First John one nine. And it's a profound verse in the Bible. If we confess our sins. okay, so there's a condition there and we've spoken about conditions before in earlier podcast episodes. If we confess our sin. okay, so we need to confess our sin. If I lie tomorrow, I need to confess that sin tomorrow. I, it's not like I've said one prayer and then I never have to confess again because of the, I have got the blood of Christ. No, every time I sin, I need to confess that sin to God. And just a word on confess. Confess means, uh, the Greek word is homologeo, which means same word. Homo means same and logeo means word. So when the Spirit convicts you, you spoke a lie there or you gossiped there. Don't argue with that light. That shining light from the spirit that, that is enlightened in your conscience. Just confess it. Say, yes, Lord, I lied. Forgive me for lying, Lord. I claim your precious blood. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for my sins. That's very important. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous. Not faithful and loving. He is love. God is love, right? But in this case, he's faithful and and righteous why must he forgive sin because the fine was paid Jesus the Lord of glory paid that fine he hanged on the cross for six hours was scourged was beaten was mocked was spat at and was crucified the highest price and this is why it's serious when we take God's grace for granted And we've covered that in earlier podcast episodes. In the once saved, Saved, always saved episodes. So when we confess our sins, immediately all distance between us and God is gone. Now, you don't have to worry about any feeling or lack of feeling at this point. The blood of Christ is primarily for God's satisfaction, not yours. Remember, God said, when I not you, when I see the blood. On the night of the Passover, the children of Israel were within the house while the blood of the lamb was outside the house. You see, within the house, they could not see the blood. Nevertheless, they had peace. They had peace through knowing that God was satisfied with that blood. And how do we know that? Because God instituted this. You understand? God has asked you, just apply the blood, and when I see the blood, I will pass over. Now, what happens in the Old Testament if they were disobedient and they didn't do the sacrifices? Well, then they were disobedient to God's word. And God's word was at the time, do the sacrifices, because that blood is a type of the blood of Christ. And I will account that to you as righteousness and your sins will be forgiven because of the blood of Christ, which is coming in time. But you don't have that blood right now, so I'm going to give you a type and shadow, and that's the blood of bulls and goats. But now when Christ has come, we have his blood. We don't have to go sacrifice bulls and goats or anything like that. His blood is enough, dear brothers and sisters, and we really have to believe this. You don't have to feel things. You don't have to think about it too much. You just have to know one thing. And the word of God makes it clear that that blood is on the outside of the house. That blood is on the outside of your vessel, your temple. Okay, And God is satisfied with that blood. That blood is enough. Yes, the precious blood of Christ. Now here's something interesting to note in the Old Testament. Once a year on the day of atonement. So what atonement means, just break it up into three syllables. At one mint. Okay. Atonement. So atonement makes us one with God. Okay. Once we were enemies, once we were separated from God, what atonement does is makes us at one with God. At one mint. That's just to help you remember that word. So the high priest went alone into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement to sprinkle the blood on the expiation cover of the Ark or the Mercy Seat. And that you'll find in Leviticus chapter 16 verses 11 to 17. Now no one was allowed to watch. Now this is a shadow of Christ who after his resurrection went into the heavenly tabernacle and sprinkled his own blood before God. As the propitiation for our sins or you can say the payment of our sins that you'll find in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 12 now no one today can look into heaven and see that blood yet it is there it is there speaking for you I refer you to Hebrews chapter 12 verse 24 and this blood is satisfying God on your behalf Even though you cannot see the blood, you can believe in its effectiveness. This blood solves your problem toward God. I just want to read these verses in Hebrews chapter 9 verses 11 to 14. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is Not of his creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, so a heifer is a a specific cow, right, sprinkling the unclean sanctifies. For the purifying of the flesh how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the Living God so we have a window here into the spiritual realm what happened after Christ's resurrection so in the Old Testament, in the day of atonement, the high priest would come and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat or the expiation cover, and that would cause atonement for the sins of Israel. Okay, But that was the Old Testament. Now, what happens in the New Testament? Well, when Christ resurrected, remember he told um Mary, do not touch me yet. I've not yet ascended to my father. So what happened in the spiritual realm is when the Lord ascended, he went into the tabernacle, the heavenly tabernacle in heaven. Now, how do we know there's something there? Because when God instructed Moses to build the tabernacle, he said, build according to the pattern which you saw, which pattern and where did he see it? He saw it in heaven. So on Earth, there was like a duplicate of the one that is in heaven. Of course, the one in heaven is perfect. Okay. And the one in heaven is the true tabernacle. And so now Jesus, as the high priest, walks into the Holy of Holies there in heaven and puts his own blood on that mercy seat. And the moment that happened, it opened the way for all of us to enter the kingdom. And that, that moment our sins were forgiven to those who believe in the Lord Jesus, receive his salvation. Believe that God raised him from the dead and that he died for our sins as our substitute. You see, we should have been hanging on that cross, paying that fine. But you know what? Our great God and Savior, he becomes a man. He lives on this earth for 33 and a half years. And then he gets crucified, scourged first, which was terrible what they did. And then he was crucified and his blood was shed for us for the forgiveness of sins. This came at the highest price, dear brothers and sisters. Praise God for the precious blood. And I want to read another verse in Hebrews now. Hebrews 12 24 to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. You see, the blood speaks for us. Hallelujah. In heaven right now. If the enemy is accusing you, Satan is accusing you, don't worry. The blood is speaking and we're going to cover the accusations from Satan uh, shortly. So please stay tuned for that. It's really going to bless you very much. I want to just conclude this section of um, separation from God and how the blood satisfies God. If God esteems the blood of Christ sufficient to remove your sins. Can you do the same, or do you require some good feelings besides that? Can your requirement be higher than God's? No, it's impossible. So you must just simply confess, O Lord, O my Lord. Thank you that the blood of Christ has taken away all my sins. If you are happy with the blood, then I am happy also. Okay, so remember, we mentioned the three problems is separation from God, guilt in our conscience and accusation from Satan. So we're going to be covering the second section now, and that is guilt in our conscience. Man's second crucial problem is with himself. Within him, in his conscience, there is a heavy load of guilt. How many people today are burdened by guilt? Guilt is a big problem to man. Sins offend God on the one hand and defile us on the other. So then what is guilt? Guilt is the stain of the sins on your conscience. The sins that you've committed, they leave a stain on your conscience. When you are young, your conscience is only stained a little bit. But as you grow older, these stains accumulate more and more and more. And just like a window which is never washed, the conscience grows darker and darker until eventually little light can penetrate. Now let's be clear, no amount of cleaning liquid, no chemical, no acid can wash this guilt from your conscience. Not even the power of a nuclear bomb can dislodge this stain. No, your conscience demands something more powerful than that. Your conscience needs the precious blood. Of Christ in Hebrews chapter 9 14 we see how much more will the blood of Christ purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God we read that earlier the blood of Christ is powerful enough to purge or cleanse your conscience from every guilty stain and how can we say that because the Word of God says so that's why that's our foundation then how does the blood of Christ purge guilt from our conscience? So I'm going to give you an illustration here and I'm going to use a traffic ticket as an example. So suppose you receive a traffic ticket for parking on the pavement or the sidewalk. You have three problems. First, you broke the law. Second, you owe the government a fine. And third, you have a copy of the traffic ticket to remind you of that fine. I just want to recap that. So first, you break the law second you owe the government a fine and third you have a copy of that traffic ticket to remind you of that fine now suppose that you don't have much money and you find it impossible to pay that fine you cannot just throw away the ticket because the police hold a copy they will prosecute you if you do not pay and now you have a real problem on your hands and this is exactly how it works when we sin, first, we have broken God's law. That is, we've done something that offends God. We've sinned against God. Second, we owe God's law something. Romans chapter 6:23 says that the wages of sin is death. I mentioned that earlier. Not a slap on the wrist, naughty boy, don't do that again. Or naughty girl, don't do that again. But the wages of sin is death. And when the Bible speaks of death, it's very serious. It's not just physical death it's spiritual death this is a rather strong fine it's impossible for you to pay this fine and now thirdly you have guilt in your conscience like the traffic ticket in your pocket as a nagging reminder of your sin or your offense or you breaking the law but hallelujah there is good news when Jesus Christ died on the cross His death fully met all the requirements of God's law for you. In other words, your debt of sin has been paid. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord, through his death on the cross, paid it all. So wonderful. And I do believe right now as you hear this, there just should be a peace coming to your heart. Right now, if you feel to confess your sins, I just encourage you to do so. Lord, forgive me for lying. Forgive me for doing this. No matter how heinous the crime, his blood has paid the fine. I like that. You must remember that no matter how heinous the crime, his blood has paid the fine. Someone should make a song out of that. But anyway, that's on another note there. So we see the first two problems have been solved. God is no longer offended. And the debt of sin has been fully paid. But what about your conscience? The stain of guilt, like the traffic ticket, remains as a record of your sin. This is where the blood of Christ cleanses your conscience. Because Christ's death has paid the debt of sin. His blood may now wipe out the record of that debt. Just as when the fine is paid, the traffic ticket may be torn up and thrown away. So also any guilt on your conscience may be wiped out. This is so easy to experience. Whenever you sin sin and you sense guilt within, you may simply open up to the Lord and pray something like this. O Lord, Lord Jesus, forgive me for what I did today. Thank you, Lord, on the cross you died for me and paid for the sin that I have committed. Lord, I believe that this sin has been forgiven by you. Right now, I claim your precious blood to cleanse my conscience from any stain of guilt. I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not just some of your sins, not even just most of your sins, but all of your sins are forgiven because of the precious blood of Christ. But you need to confess. Don't forget that part. You have to confess your sin to God. Now look at how encouraging this verse is in Psalm 103 verse 12. It says the following, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now, who can say how far the East is from the West? We're not just talking about on Earth here. Well, in the same way, when we confess our sins, God removes them infinitely far away from us. Remember, you're looking on a galactic scale here, East and West. Can they ever meet? Well, it's just infinite East to West. And that's how far God removes our sins from us. Isn't that encouraging? Thank you, Lord, for your word. So, if he's moved your sins infinitely far away from you, they are no longer associated with you anymore. And because of this, you may have rest in your conscience. When God forgives, he forgets. Do not think that God, after forgiving you, will come to you and remind you, hey, remember that sin. And the reason for that is we've got scripture. Scripture. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 34 says the following. I will forgive their iniquity. or I will forgive their sin and their sin I will remember no more. How encouraging is that? Well, wow. I want to read that again. Jeremiah 31 34. I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. So now if God forgets your sins You may also forget them. How wonderful is that? Don't remind God of something he has already forgotten. Christ died nearly 2000 years ago. His blood has already been shed and is available 24 hours a day to cleanse your conscience. Whenever you sin, there is no need to wait. Waiting does not improve the power of the blood. The blood is all powerful wherever you are. Any time of day, if you sense guilt in your conscience, just claim the precious blood. Remember that this blood is eternal, brothers and sisters, because the Lord Jesus is God. And when that blood was shed, this is eternal blood that we're talking about. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. That is Psalm chapter 32, verses 1 to 2. Through the precious blood of Christ, the problem of guilt is solved. Now that leaves us with our last section for this episode. And that is accusation from Satan. Sometimes after you confess and apply the blood, you may continue to have some bad feeling within. Does this indicate that your sin is not forgiven or that the blood of Christ does not work? Or that something further is needed, you need to roll on the ground and cry and, I don't know, beat your hands on your chest or something like that. Remember, it's what he did for us. It's about the finished work of Christ. There is nothing that we can do that can top what the Lord Jesus did for us. That's why if a man is going to come to God's throne without that blood, he's going to face one thing, and that is wrath, the wrath of God Almighty. That's why the last verse of John chapter 3 says the following. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That is profound. If you do not believe in the Son, the wrath of God abides upon you. And now we know why. Because God must judge sin. And if Christ is not your substitute and you come there one day to the throne without that sin penalty that has been paid for, the blood of Christ, okay, God can only be a consuming fire to you. And the only thing you can see from God is his wrath because he's the righteous judge. He can't look at you as a father or even a creator at that time. He has to face you as the judge. Now, when a Christian is going to stand before the Lord that day, it's his blood that is going to speak for us. You see, his blood paid the price, paid the fine. And now God has forgiven us. Glory to him. So if you continue to have that bad feeling within, this does not indicate that your sin is not forgiven. Absolutely not. The blood of Christ is all powerful. You cannot top that. It's what God requires. Bring me the blood and I'll be satisfied. Remember Exodus? When I see the blood, I will pass over. So then where then do these bad feelings come from after we've confessed our sins and applied the blood? Their source is God's enemy, Satan, and your enemy too, by the way. To understand this, we need to see who Satan is and what he does. Satan is the devil, which in the original language, that's the Hebrew of the Bible, it means accuser. So in Revelation chapter 12 verse 10, it's he is referred to as the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night. Yes, that's what Satan does. He accuses the brothers before God day and night, and he also accuses god before you you know if you're going through some trial or tribulation satan's the one saying look how god has forsaken you or what god is there does god even exist how could he leave you alone look at your suffering i mean you just got to read the story of job and see what happened there and praise god job didn't fall for that temptation job stood firm against that temptation and he was blessed i mean job's wife said Just face it, Job. God has abandoned you, forsaken you. So just curse God and die. And that's exactly what Satan wanted. Satan wanted Job to curse God. But did he curse God? I feel I must read these verses now. Then his wife said to him, this is Job chapter 2 verse 9. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Verse 10. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? In all this Job did not sin with his lips. How profound is that? So remember that devil means accuser. He's an accuser and he accuses us before God and he accuses God before us. Let us not yeah, that wicked voice speak. And we're going to see how to deal with it now. So he accuses us before God day and night. Satan, God's enemy and our enemy, spends most of his time day and night accusing God's people. And this is his job, of course. God did not ask him to do this. Rather, he has taken it upon himself to accuse God's people incessantly. That is... um. On an ongoing basis. This is revealed in the story of Job. Job was a righteous man and feared God, yet it is recorded that Satan appeared before God to accuse Job before him. He said, does Job fear God without cause? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions are spread throughout the land, but stretch forth your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. That is Job chapter 1 verses 9 to 11. In other words, Satan accused Job of not of only fearing God because God had blessed him. Satan claimed that God bribed Job and that if God took away all Job's riches, Job would curse God. And this is a picture, this illustrates Satan's accusing in the spiritual realm, brothers and sisters. We also read in the book of Zechariah, the high priest Joshua stood before God. And Satan stood at his right hand to be his adversary. That is chapter 3 verse 1. Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. Verse 3. This speaks of his poor sinful condition. How often your poor condition gives Satan the opportunity to accuse you. This implies that Satan is not only God's enemy, but is your enemy as well. Whenever you come to God, Satan resists your coming by accusing you. Nothing cripples a Christian spiritually more than accusation. Please listen to this. Nothing cripples a Christian more than accusation. Whenever you listen to Satan's accusation, you are powerless. Don't listen to his accusation, brothers and sisters. It is as if all the strength is drained from you. A Christian under accusation finds it hard to fellowship with others and even harder to pray. He feels as though he cannot approach God. This is the enemy's subtlety. It's like him flying under the radar. He never appears in a red suit with a pitchfork crying, I am the devil, now I'm going to condemn you. He's more clever than that. He accuses you inwardly and even tricks you into thinking that his accusations are God speaking. How can you distinguish between God's true enlightening in your conscience and Satan's accusation? Sometimes it is difficult, but there are three ways. First, God's light supplies you, whereas Satan's accusation drains you. When God speaks concerning your sins, you may feel very exposed and wounded. Nevertheless, you are always supplied and encouraged to draw close to God and apply the precious blood of Christ. Satan's accusations, on the other hand, are totally negative. The more you listen, the harder it is to pray. You feel empty and discouraged. Whenever you feel like this, brothers and sisters, you've got to know it's Satan. Because remember, God asked Adam, where are you? Not what have you done, you sinful being? He asked, where are you? Because sin causes separation between us and God. Okay? Okay. So Satan's goal is to have that separation because Satan knows if you come into contact with God, if you fellowship with God, if you spend time with him in his word and and you just stay in that loving communion and fellowship, Satan will be defeated and his head will be crushed. And that's why he tries his level best to keep you away from fellowshipping with the Lord. And this is why he accuses us. Whenever Satan accuses you, you feel empty and discouraged. God will never do this to you. God will convict you and enlighten you. And it could even be harsh, but it will always be encouraging. There will always be an aspect of you can come home, my son. Just repent. Turn away from this sin. Stop this. I love you. Come back home. There is time to repent. Whereas Satan's like it's game over. You're finished. You're pathetic. You're worthless. Does that ring a bell? Well, that's Satan. God will never say that to you. Just keep this in mind. Second, God's speaking is always specific, whereas Satan's condemnation is quite often, though not always, general. Sometimes you may be tricked into thinking that you are just tired or that you've had a rough day. Other times you just have a general impression that you are not right with God. But when you search your conscience, you find that there's no specific sin that would cause you to be separated from God. Or you may wake up with a general feeling of depression or feeling of uneasiness toward God. All these general feelings of condemnation that have no apparent source in sin are of Satan and should be rejected. When God speaks, he is specific and positive. But when Satan speaks, he is often general and negative. Third, any uneasy feeling which remains after you confess and claim the blood is of Satan. There is never a need to confess and claim the blood again for the same sin. God's demand is at once satisfied by the blood, but Satan is never satisfied. And of course that makes sense because he just wants to condemn you and make you feel worthless so that you never come to God again. He would like to see you confess again and again and be more condemned and more condemned and get you into this spiral. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 15 says, A continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Satan's accusations are like that. Like a dripping faucet. Drip, 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 drip. Or like someone nagging you all the time about something. Nag, nag, nag. And they just don't let you go to sleep. But God's speaking is very different. When you confess and claim the cleansing of the blood, God is instantly satisfied. Any further voice is Satan's. Please keep this in mind. God said, If you confess your sin, He's faithful and righteous to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That's the Word of God. You stand on that Word, brothers and sisters. If we confess our sin and claim the precious blood, Yet some uneasiness continues to tug at us within. Then we should stop praying immediately. Don't confess anymore. Rather turn to the source of that accusation and say something like this. Satan, I have confessed my sin to God. He has forgiven my sin and the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed me from it. This uneasiness that I sense right now is not from God. It is from you and I reject it satan now you must look at the blood of christ that blood answers every one of your accusations brothers and sisters you should try speaking to satan in this way when you use the blood in this way satan is defeated and he knows it i want to bring your attention to revelation chapter 12 verses 10 to 11 it says the following the accuser of our brothers has been cast down and they overcame him that's the devil they overcame the devil because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. See, this is the word of our testimony when we confess the word of God and we proclaim God's promises and God's word, even to God's enemy and our enemy, Satan. The word of your testimony is, your just, is just your declaration that the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed you from every sin and that this blood has defeated Satan. When you speak boldly in this way, Satan's accusations are overcome. The Christian life is a warfare, brothers and sisters. Satan, your adversary, is a roaring lion that walks about seeking someone to devour. You'll find that in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. For this warfare, you need the proper weapons. One of the most important weapons you must use as a Christian is the blood of of Christ I want to conclude with this by the power of the precious blood of Christ it is possible for a Christian to live moment by moment in God's presence whenever any little sin would come in to frustrate your fellowship with God you may instantly confess and claim the Lord's prevailing blood immediately the fellowship is restored why should you waste any time The blood of Christ is available moment by moment, day after day. You can never exhaust the cleansing power of the blood of Christ. His blood is not only able to cleanse every past sin, but also every sin that you that you could ever commit. By the power of the precious blood of Christ, you may enjoy a conscience free from the stain of guilt. Because of this, you can come boldly to God. The Bible shows us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, Let us come forward with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. You see, by the blood of Christ, your conscience can be free from guilt, like a freshly washed window. It can be clear, bright, and full of light. Finally, by the power of the precious blood of Christ, you can overcome every accusation of Satan. Though his accusations may be strong, the blood of Christ is stronger. It answers them, every one of those accusations. This blood, brothers and sisters, is your weapon. With this weapon, you can never be defeated by Satan. Rather, he will be defeated by you. How dear and how precious is the blood of Christ. By this blood you can live in God's presence day after day, for all your days as you walk this earth. I want to conclude with this verse, First John chapter one, verse seven. "If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from every sin." Just to bring in a balance here, it says if we walk in the light. We have to walk in the light. We have to determine to walk in the light. You can't be living in sin and have this attitude, oh, I'll just claim the blood. It's fine. No, you see, then that is that is dangerous. That's playing with God's grace. And we don't want to do that as Christians. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from every sin, not some sins, not many sins but every single sin has been cleansed by his precious blood. Bless you, my brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ is Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your precious blood, which cleanses us from every sin. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can visit our website at www.biblestudyangelo.com for free Christian material and other resources to help you in your journey with the Lord. You can also send us a message on our website. If you want to contact us or if you have any questions, follow us on TikTok, Instagram and Facebook with the handle at Bible Study Have a blessed day. Jesus Christ is Lord.